Hey, are you a coffee drinker? Of course you are. If you're one of those weirdos that is not a coffee drinker, you know that you know plenty of coffee drinkers in your life. This week's episode of the Berman Hour podcast is brought to you by Flow State Coffee from the good folks at New Wave. Flow State Coffee is coffee for creativity. It's organic coffee that is ground with raw cacao and L-theanine. The purpose of this coffee is to lower your anxiety, improve your brain function, and support creativity. Even more so, I can tell you from personal experience as somebody who is riddled with stress and anxiety most of the time and somebody who is very susceptible to the shakes and jitters from having too much caffeine, Flow State Coffee doesn't give me the shakes. It doesn't give me the jitters. I stay in an optimal, productive, and creative mode all day when I drink Flow State Coffee, and I cannot recommend this enough. Let me help you get 10% off your first order of Flow State Coffee because I know it won't be your last. You're going to go to New Wave's website, which is noowave.co slash b-e-r-m-a-n. Newwave.co slash berman. Get 10% off your first order of Flow State Coffee. If you're a creative type, you're not a creative type. You just want to try some new coffee or you're not a coffee drinker at all, but you just want to do something nice for the coffee drinkers in your life, maybe people that you work with, you know, the one person that you need to apologize because you said that thing about because you thought it was them and it turned out to be somebody else, and you think, oy vey, how am I going to get back in this person's good graces? Go to newwave.co slash berman, N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash B-E-R-M-A-N, and get drinking New Wave's Flow State Coffee. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks so much for tuning in. My guest this week is Terry LaRocca, who is a tutor, a teacher, an educator, a mom, a friend. She's also the better half of Joey Briggs LaRocca. Notice I put that at the bottom of her accomplishments, because being the better half of Joey, that's not too hard. Hey, Anyway, I wanted to say that I found out that the Berman Hour podcast was ranked number 200 in the United States for music interview podcast. And I had two things that went through my mind. The first thing was, that means there's 199 people out there that I need to take down quick. I'm coming for you if you're out there. Number two, I don't want the Berman Hour podcast to be just a music interview podcast. Yes, me, Jeff Berman, your humble narrator, is a musician, so therefore I ride with musicians 95% of the time. However, when I developed this podcast, the Berman Hour podcast, I didn't want to just talk to musicians because to me that's boring. I'm more concerned with moving an interesting conversation along than I am in moving the needle. That's what's more important to me, and talking to important people, ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things is what I really want to do with the Berman Hour podcast. And Terry LaRocca is a great example of that. So without much further ado, we're going to dive into a great conversation with Terry LaRocca where we talk about education, the system of education, the challenges that she has faced, more importantly, the challenge that children are facing 
as they are learning remotely during this pandemic. And whether you're a parent or not, or you have a vested interest in the public and private school systems in this country or not, I think this is a great conversation where you can really learn a lot. Talking to Terry about this is always interesting and insightful, and I thank her very much for her time because I know she is very, very busy. So enjoy my conversation with Terry LaRocca, and I'll see you on the other side. Let's go. miss you guys very much is you and your crew doing well yeah we're doing well we're doing well and um so i'm coming to you from our new home in lancaster pennsylvania where are you at the moment i'm in glendale california in my home my living room (laughs) is your living room also now your office as well or do you have a separate part of the house where uh I actually I had to take over Benny's room. He's my youngest son. Uh, I had to take over his room in order to set up my operations because normally I go to everybody's home. So I don't I don't have a center. It's much more personalized, very individual. Um, I don't I never wanted to go the whole corporate route with the tutoring. I've been approached many times over the year and I, I want to personally know and be able to personally engage and understand each person that we work with, even if I'm not personally tutoring them. My car was basically my office before. <laughs> I would call it the traveling school bus because yeah. my trunk was just loaded with games and puppets and clay and just everything I could possibly need for everybody. And then I would be in my students' home. And yeah. then I switched over to Zoom and I had to keep going when I would get on the call go oh hold on a minute and run out to my trunk and get everybody's stuff nice nice yeah I want to ask you about I want to ask you about all of that um but I guess first was was Benny uh amenable to you taking his room or was he upset about it he was okay with it because I have so many educational toys and puppets and everything right. that they just sort of became his. So he's okay with it. Yeah. Where Where are you from? Where were you born? I don't think I ever knew. Alhambra, California, East okay. San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. So I've been in LA my entire life. I've been in the East San Gabriel Valley, um, Alhambra. I grew up in El Monte, Temple City. Then I lived in La Crescenta in Glendale, and then my parents lived out in Canyon Country and Agua Dulce. So I've been the full spectrum of Los Angeles and then also driving to all my students' homes. We would service people from the East San Gabriel Valley all the way out to Bel Air and Beverly Hills. So I've got a pretty good lay of of the land over here. (laughs) Yeah. Did you take an interest in education as, as a young student when you were in school? You know what's what's funny and slightly embarrassing to admit maybe I'm gonna get fired from some students, but I was I was naughty in school. Yeah, I was naughty. I I always loved children and I became a lifeguard, you know, this is back in the day when it wasn't so strict. I was a lifeguard at 
at like a preschool. She had like a daycare or a preschool in her house. Yeah. And she brought me in as a lifeguard. I think I was like 13. I used to walk to her house in my flip flops and my shades. And, you know, when you were younger, you could just walk the streets everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and I always loved interacting with kids. I'm the oldest of four. And so it always kind of came naturally to me. But I was not a straight-A student. I was not, like, the angel and, and the good one in class. I, I was suspended in high school, actually. Oh, sheesh. I, I didn't bring you on here for controversy, too. Where? I'm just asking some, some stuff. Yeah, I was actually, yeah. I was definitely kind of a little bit more on the wild side, Um yeah. I listened, you know, to the, like the Misfits, Danzig, Cannibal Corpse. Like I was super into kind of the darker kind of music, kind of hung out with that crowd. One thing that did change that really motivated me was I always was very athletic and it didn't quite fit for me to be into the music scene and into the people that I hung out with and then want to be a jock at the same time. But I just kind of was naturally inclined for sports. And to play sports in high school, you've got to maintain a certain grade point average. Sure. So that's really honestly what kind of created a shift for me and made me kind of look at my studies and look at, you know, what can I get out of this? What, how can I kind of get through this so that I can do what I want, which was play sports. I don't know if you know, but I was the only girl on the all male tackle football team in high school. I was on JV football. I did know that. I remember (laughs) that is so cool. So I was a wide receiver and I went through hell week with them. I don't know if all high schools have it, but we had like two weeks of training before school started called hell week. And The one thing I did not partake in, which was a tradition in my high school, Temple City High School, was right at the end of Hell Week and before school started, all the guys would shave shave their head. And you didn't do that? I didn't do that. I did give myself a a super short bob haircut, but I had to to draw the line. (laughs) But that that was kind of a turning point for me in terms of, of being motivated to, to learn and to get, to become really educated and to see that I sort of needed that academic side to carry me over. So I feel like I can truly relate to, to some kids. And matter of fact, I often get those kids who I don't want to say bad, but who are the, you know, the rough ones, rough, rough around the edges. And I think that I'm able to identify with them and that I, I can relate to them and I know what it's like to sort of go through the motions of something only because you want this other thing. It's a means and to an end. Yeah. Exactly. But in the, at the same time, as you're doing that, it's still positive. You're still educating yourself and learning. So even if your main objective is playing in a band or playing sports, yeah. if, if that's, the, if that, that's what's driving you or just for me, it was just not being grounded. You know, that was the yeah. force for not wanting to, uh, not wanting to slack off too much. When you kind of got into, you know, you mentioned some punk and metal bands, a lot of those scenes, not all the time, but a lot of time, it's predicated on, you know, kind of helping others and informing yourself. Did you find that when you were a young person or a teenager and you were kind of getting into that music and into that scene, that it coincided with your kind of budding interest in education or was it completely separate? Uh, No, it definitely, it definitely kind of went together. Um, And I feel like 
that there are a lot of stereotypes with that too, because there was a, a guy in my school, my high school, who wasn't quite in my crowd. He was more in like the industrial goth kind of crowd and, and a little bit, little bit different, but still closely paralleled. And I remember that I was sitting, I'll never forget this, that I was sitting in 10th grade and for whatever reason, I think I had to sit with my football team and we were giving, we were doing awards like the semester awards of best grades or, you know, the, you know, academic achievement, sports achievement. Yeah. So all of the football players were together. And one of them, he was really tall and he had dark hair and he wore eyeliner and stuff. And he was called for academic achievement. And one of the guys on my football team actually called out in front of the whole assembly and said, Hey, you know, Gavin or whatever your name is, is this because you're in all the special ed classes? And like, I I went, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe that just because this person's into this particular style of music or they look this way that it's assumed that, that they're uneducated. Um, and, and it really, it left, like I said, this was how many years ago and I never, never have forgotten that. And so now Whenever I go to meet a new student and I and I talk to a new student and I check them out, I never go be I, I never judge a book by its cover. I, sure. I always just look so beyond and look to why and you know, why do you like this thing or why don't you like this thing and have you tried this and have you tried that? Because it just made me realize how many stereotypes and how many prejudices we have across the boards, across the boards. Yeah. At what point then did you decide to become an educator, to be part of that process in, in helping people? You, you mentioned that you, you liked working with young people and kids yeah. at an early age and, and that uh, paralleled your development as well. But when, when did you actually take the turn and think, I, I really want to help people learn, I really want to teach people? Uh, when I was 16. When I was 16, I was having a lot of trouble in math with school. So I, I actually had a specialized tutor. And okay. I saw the difference that it made one-on-one and what a difference it made in me and my confidence and my understanding of things. It really changed a lot about me. I always knew I was going to do something to help people. Originally, I thought of being a social worker um, because I'm a former foster youth. And so having been through that, I thought, you know, that's something that I could really empathize. I, I went into foster youth at 13, which is okay. rough. Um, and I thought that that would be something good for me, but I, I'm so sensitive (laughs) and so uh, I get very emotionally involved, you know, all of my students are like my babies and I'm very protective of them. And I've spent many a car rides, you know, after parent conferences with kids that are not my own two kids crying crying on the way home and just, just not believing that this teacher thinks this way or that this school views one of my babies that way. You know, I can't, I'm very sensitive. So at the urgings of, um, one of my mentors who, who I worked with all through college, kind of guiding me and even telling Joey at that time, you, you don't want this woman to become a social worker. It's going to just eat, eat her alive. It kind of guided me towards, towards, um, younger kids. And I actually started off teaching preschool. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I just loved it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you study education or, or mm-hmm. in teacher when you were in college and as an undergrad? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I did. I did child development and I worked in um, the child development preschool. And I thought for a long time that I was going to teach preschool, but you would not believe how underpaid preschool teachers are. They're, they're paid very, very poorly. And you're not part of a union, so you don't have all the benefits of having a teacher's union behind you. Even if you're teaching in a public-funded preschool, you, are not, you, you don't get all of those benefits and why is that? Yeah. Why is it? Why is there that that segregation there? You know, I don't know. It's a long, it's a long discussed thing, and it's something in the child development world and in education that really has never been understood because you're the first educators of people. You're their first experience with education, and you're you're paid the worst. You know, I when I started looking around while I was in college at different jobs, I would go to different preschools and talk to different teachers. And there were teachers that had been there for like 10, 12 years, and they were making maybe a dollar or two above minimum wage. Jeez. Yeah. And no benefits, no, no paid holidays, no paid summers, nothing like that. That's so remarkable. that was, and so my mentor also sort of guided me towards the elementary, more of the elementary education and specifically into saying, since you love preschool so much, you could parallel it into teaching kindergarten, which I ended up doing for 10 years. Oh, okay. And where did you teach kindergarten? I taught at a private Jewish school in the Valley. Well, Shalom. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just looking up recipes on how to make my own uh, challah bread. Oh yeah! Oh no! I, I, I <laughs> one yeah. of the only things I know how to cook. I'm not the cook in the family. That's yes. the thing I know how to cook. <laughs> yes, yes, that, that, that's that's great. That's great. So ten years for that, and then at that point, was that when you decided to kind of branch out and start your own tutoring business? No. Then I went to work for, I I worked at another private school and um, I started off and this was a school more for two types of kids, either kids that were in the entertainment industry. So they only wanted to go to school for a couple of hours a day. We we went to school from, the school was open from nine to 12 and then they had the rest of the day off or for kids who weren't making it in a traditional school. And so I did quite a bit of student teaching there, and that gave me exposure to all the grades. Um, I I did middle school English. I interned in there. I I taught um, first grade. I did a one-two split. I did a two-three split. So I I got exposed to all of it. And really how the tutoring came about... um, was really just people would ask me or I would approach the parent and say, you know, I noticed that the progress isn't quite here. Why don't you have them stay after school? Why don't you have them work with me? And I wasn't charging anything. It was just, I would just do it after school for an hour. I was young. I didn't have my own kids. Mm -hmm. And then some of the parents would start to come to me and say, well, could you help his sister? Or I have a niece or I have a cousin. Could you come to my house? Could you meet us at the library? And I went, okay, sure. <laughs> so then it just kind of started that way. I never intended to to have a business. That was never my my plan or my yeah. what I was gonna do. And truly the only reason that I ever brought 
anybody else into it to start basically hiring work out to was because I couldn't keep up with the amount of people that I had and I couldn't say no to people when they wanted when they needed help I was like well I can't but I know somebody and so that's sort of how it started during a normal day you described how uh, during a normal day during normal times I should preface yes you would describe how you would be essentially going from from house to house and, and tutoring students and, and in and out of schools, and you were kind of living in your car. What was your 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 place of respite? If you needed to go to the bathroom, or you needed like to eat or a coffee, what was your go to place? Kind of in between all of these parts of LA, where you're like, all right, once uh, I get to Porto, yeah. good for an hour, you know. Um, okay, I would say uh, actually Trader Joe's. Okay. <laughs> They have a chai a chai latte that I like there that's a pre-made one. So that yeah. I would say Trader Joe's. Um if I was out in the in the Studio City, Sherman Oaks area, definitely Aroma, Aroma Cafe. Yeah, I would stop there and go there. Um and then on the east side, I would say I would go, I would often go in Pasadena to the Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's pretty much, those are my places. And then of course, all my clients have very accommodating homes and are always offering me water and yeah, all that good stuff. We but have for our those that live in LA, you know, it, it's hard to explain that like once you yes. car for the day, that's most it. of the time going back home for whatever you need to do. It's just, oh not no, no, yeah. it's not in the cards. No, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a thing. Um, how did how did having children of your own change your outlook, if if at all, on the education process, the educational system, LAUSD, and any of that? How how has that changed your outlook on, on everything? Because I imagine you're thinking about things differently when it's your own kids. When you're you you've already showcased yes. how caring and. and uh, significant you want to make that that role for other people's kids but when it's your own kids it's that much more what was that like for you I would say that one of the biggest things is that it really hit me um, what a responsibility that I have and and how what an enormous weight that I have on myself to, to really do the job to carry through. I mean, I always understood that it was extremely special that people were trusting me with their kids. I always really understood that. Um, but when I had my own child and like, I had to leave my own child for the first time to go back to work, I went, wow, this is what it feels like. This is what people feel like when they're leaving their kids with me for the day in the classroom and, and going off and just assuming that I'm taking the duties of, of being basically another parent. You know, when kids go to school, they, they, in a lot of cases, spend more of their waking time Monday through Friday in school than they do with their parents. You know, you have parents that have to drop off and do before care, parents that have to do after school care as we do. So that, that was an even bigger shift. And I feel like pushed me to, to want to achieve and to want me to just go above and beyond and do even more than I, than I thought I could ever do for them because I just realized how special it was that they were treating me that way. Yeah. And then with my own kids, unfortunately I realized again 
how cookie cutter most schools are, you know, I'm so used to doing everything very individualized, you know, like I may be tutoring or, you know, coaching because I do academic coaching, consulting. I may be, be doing that with three reading students, but none of those three reading students are all in the same curriculum. It's not a one size fits all, but in, in most public schools, it's a one size fit all. And it doesn't always, it doesn't always work. You don't always fit into that. And, um, it's, it's a lot of work and it's extremely frustrating to get accommodations and to get help and to get, um, the schools to bend in order to meet what works best for your child. Has that been something that has been a challenge so far? Um, we don't need to get into the specific children here in a public forum, but yeah, they're not babies anymore. Um, so, you know, is that something that you, you're starting to kind of plan out? Like, all right, we have this kind of plan for the elementary years, but then when it's junior high and high school, you yes. kind of need to reevaluate? Like, Absolutely. You know, they're both very different. And I know that that the one size fits all won't won't work all the way through the schooling for for one of them. And, yeah. and so we're going to have to see how that that would adjust. But I think that I just wish that there was more opportunity for more individualized instruction and more, I wish that there, you know, neuroscience has come so far with what they understand about education so far. I mean, what they understand about the brain and how it learns and how it processes and how it works. And for some reason, there's this enormous gap between what neuroscientists have discovered and what they understand about how the brain works versus what's how much of that's being applied in the world of education. Um, There's two doctors, three doctors that I follow very closely. Um, One is uh, Dr. Lakata and he's in Pasadena and he has vital, vital head and spine and they actually do neurofeedback and brain training. And then there's um, Dr. Andrew Hill who has a center out um, in Culver city area. And he has a PhD in um, adolescent and developmental neuroscience. And then there's another doctor out of Stanford. That's Dr. Huberman. And they're all three neuroscientists. And I highly recommend following them on Instagram. They all post very, uh, informative videos and, and just tons of tips and stuff with how to learn and how to think with things. And I just, when I hear the things that they do and the papers that they reference and the research they've done, and I see how far away we are from achieving that in schools, it's heartbreaking. It's yeah. really heartbreaking because there are so many other methods and so many other ways that we could be using to, to reach our kids and to teach them. And we're just not quite there yet. What does your typical day look like now as <laughs> considering that you, you just expressed to us that you, you normally would go in and out of people's houses yeah. and the schools went above and beyond because you're a caring parent and you're a caring educator and that's the service that you choose to provide. Now we're not able to do that. What is really the biggest challenges that, that you face and people that are in on your team and people like yourselves that are facing as educators trying to really get through to these, these young people that that need the extra help during this time? Well, I would say that, that one of the biggest challenges is not being able to be there 
physically in person with them to physically help them. You know, some of our guys need a lot of help with writing. How can I be standing behind them, holding their hand and guiding their hand for movements or helping them learn to cut and to and to trace their name and things like that. I put it on the Zoom whiteboard, but it's not it's not quite the same. Yeah. So I feel like that's part of it. I, I try to keep things as normal as possible. So even though I'm not seeing them in person, I always do little sticker papers with stickers. I still fill those out and I hold it up and I show it to them. And when they fill it up, I let them um, pick out a sticker. I let them pick out a prize and I mail it to them in the mail. So they have that little surprise that kind of comes to them in the mail and they like it. But I would say that one of the hardest things is, is the connection with them. I never have had a child be shy beyond maybe 10 minutes when I've met them before. And I've I've never had them stay scared of me ever. I, I have, I just, I will spend as long as I need to spend with them the first time that I meet them to do that. And the first time I did a Zoom assessment, so it would be somebody new that I'm giving an assessment to that I've never met before. She was four and a half and um, she, she was afraid of me. She was afraid of me. And it, it, it was so emotional. I can't even tell you because usually going to work brings me such happiness and it, and it makes me so happy to know that I'm, I'm making someone else feel happier or I'm encouraging someone to make that they're going to learn something. Or I had, I helped somebody have fun that day. You know, we got to play with stickers and clay. So to have somebody be afraid of me when I was there to help them is not something that I've experienced lasting before. And I have to be honest, when I hung up, I was crying. I, I, was, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is, you know, where we're at right now in the world. And it took about two more times of seeing her for her to, to be willing to look at the camera and touch the, the whiteboard and stuff. So she ended up coming around, but I can't help but think about, about the long-term impact of this on the social emotional side, because I don't think if somebody is not in the right place, social and emotionally reaching them academically, it's going to be very difficult. That's interesting. And on the contrary, are you picking up vibes or inclinations of positive foundations that are being built during this time where we're forced to use this technology? We're not able to be together in person but education still needs to happen and and people, the kids still need to be learning things. Yeah. Uh, Do you have any glimmers of hope for us? (laughs) I do on that front, because actually I was just a part of a, of a special education meeting last Wednesday night for Glendale Unified. Mm -hmm. And, um, several of the parents were saying, not all, not all was mixed, but, but a significant amount of people were mentioning that the Zoom is actually helping some of the children who do have focus issues or processing issues with attention because there's not so much else going on. They're home. There's not other children distracting them. There's not other people coming in and out of the room. So a a good number of the parents were actually saying that they saw it as a positive, so much so that they were thinking of continuing, even if we can go back to brick and mortar in the fall, of, of staying online 
for as long as they could because they saw it as as something that helped. But then there you go with the one size doesn't fit all. And maybe that's something that we should always be offering for those students. Yeah, yeah. Or some sort of a hybrid. A hybrid. Depending on who needs what. Well, I find all this stuff um, really fascinating because <laughs> I think that there's a lot of parents that are uh, stressed out and yeah. frazzled and frustrated and, and, you know, anxious and scared, kind of like we all are. But, you know, educating your kids seems, you know, I, I grew up with the, the notion that that was priority 1A. And, yes. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who go out of their way to you know, do a lot of research and send their kids to schools that they feel are the, the best possible things for them. But it's a version of that school that we can't have at the moment. So everyone's right. in the same boat. Yeah. And I do think, you know, I think that for working parents, it was extremely challenging to do the learning at home. I can tell you that <laughs> as a teacher, as an educator, uh, our child did not do every assignment that was due. She was in fourth grade last year. It was not physically possible after after working, you know, and it's not fair to her. Her prime time that she's available during the school day, I'm not. I, I'm helping other, other people's children. Yeah. So I would have windows here and there that I could help her, but the bulk of the stuff had to be done after dinner. And we would reach a point where we just had to make a decision to pull the plug. And that's what we were doing that day. And if we didn't get to it, you know, over the weekend and we never got back to it again, then so be it. We would pick and choose what we felt was the most important. Because one thing that I saw happening with a lot of, a lot of children and a lot of parents in their relationships was that the parents were no longer being allowed to be the parent, there was no time to be the parent. There was no time to sit down and play Uno or Guess Who or a board game or read a book for pleasure. It was, I'm coming home from work and now I'm not going to just run you through homework. I'm going to run you through the volume of work that would have been done in a school day. And now, of course, there's not time for watching a movie together or reading a book together yeah. because you've got to go to bed and take a shower and all that, which I feel like already happens a lot to us as parents with homework and the responsibility, but it was magnified. It was magnified. And so I really encouraged people. A lot of parents kept coming to me and saying, I can't do this. I can't maintain this. And I said, then you don't, you know, you pick out the most important things, the most relevant things that you think that they need to learn. I can tell you right now that if they skip some fourth grade history and science, it's not going to be the end of the world. They could, your chances at Harvard are still there. Don't worry. You okay. know, put it in perspective and, you know, focus on the math and the language arts if that's what you can do that day. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. It's like a, a whole new level in multitasking and yes. prioritizing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's so much more like the real world and so much more like working in the real world than school tends to be yeah. anyway. Yeah. So maybe this generation of Zoomers will be, well, hopefully they'll be the generation that saves us all, right? I hope so. I, I hope, hope so. so. I will say another positive to having the kids be home and be around their parents a lot more, as I do think that the parents took on a little bit more in, in another way, I think that the parents took on a little bit more of a role of being the parent in terms of introducing things 
to their children and introducing and explaining what was going on because my kids were home and there was no friend to tell them what the pandemic was and there was no teacher to give their authoritative, you know, idea or talk of what it was. Our kids became so much more involved. They're already pretty involved in adult conversations, but they became very involved. And then even with, you know, all Black Lives Matter, they're home with us. So they hear us talking about it. They hear us following on the news and reading articles. And it became such an opportunity for us to be the ones to originate and share our views and our core beliefs as a family before they went and heard it from everyone else. So that is one positive that I will say to the stay at home. Well, I do have a message for your eldest from from Chris from Anti-Plague. He said hello to... uh, it's a moxie. I oh boy, she'll be thrilled. Uh, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this was this was really fascinating. Um, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time because I know a lot of parents that are that are just struggling with the time. A lot of people kind of got through the end of the school year, through that finish line. A lot of people feel like they got through it as if they were hobbled and on crutches. Yes, we need to hear more from people like you who have this very focused. But but interesting shared experience with so many different types of students across the entire spectrum of ages. And uh, that's going to be invaluable, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I really do recommend to people to just wait and see what's going to happen. So many people. Oh, but what if school's like this? And what if you have to do that? And what I said, you know what? Just show up the first day. Just show up the first day. You can't, what you could turn this into in your mind with unknowns, you could go to a place that's just not good. Just show up the first day. And if it doesn't work for you, there's going to be an online option for everybody. So I I definitely want to remind everybody of that. And the other thing is, you know, I'm not saying to to abandon your academics or anything like that, but definitely when it when it comes down to having those days and you're going to have them happen where you have to decide between am I going to be the parent or am I going to be the teacher and you really feel like you just need to be the parent that day, I really think that you should because Anybody can be educated. Anybody. I've, I've had kids that have been years behind in grade level, years behind and end up. I have one student that was that had an IEP, a special education plan and had all kinds of specialists. He ended up graduating from high school with six scholarship offers to go in, into into space studies and so I always, I always tell people anyone can be educated, anybody can be remediated and, and be caught up and be taught what they need to teach. But that social and emotional development, it is, it is number one and, and it needs to be the priority, right? Especially right now, more than ever right now with what's going on in the world. It needs to be number one. It needs to be what you focus on as a parent and the academics will come. And if they don't, in a year from now, you, you, you tackle it then, but don't, you can't leave emotional things for years. You just can't. You got to do it now. All right. There you have it. My conversation with Terry LaRocca. Thank you so much to Terry for coming on the podcast. In addition Once again, thanks to our sponsors, Flow State Coffee from New Wave. Go to N-O-O-W-A-V-E dot C-O slash Berman and get 10% off your first order. 
Again, newwave.co slash Berman. Coffee for creative types. All right, thank you all very much. Thanks to New Wave. Thank you to Terry LaRocca. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. Every little bit helps. We'll see you next week.